Welcome to the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, a weekly podcast for BJJ enthusiasts who are striving to succeed both on and off the mats. This podcast is brought to you by Robles, makers of the world's finest custom jiu-jitsu apparel. And here are your hosts on the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. Um, I, I think as I get older and, you, and you're in relationships with people, um, the safest, I think the way to, one of the keys to happiness really is just assume that people will be the way that they are. And rather than sort of take that stoic philosophy of what can I can control versus, oh, I don't think they should be this way. So therefore I will resist this. And this is good for all sorts of relationships, but man, you are married. This is the most important thing. So, um, so anyway, my dog throws up at like one in the morning. My wife is sound asleep because she doesn't wake up with these things. I like, I have a pretty uh, sensitive sleeper, so I wake up pretty easily. And I'm like, oh God, she's throwing up on like the, the, the rug too. And I'm like, okay, so this involves more and the yoga mat, which is right by the door. So it's like, okay, I got to take everything out. And, I, and then I got to spray off the towels because I'm like, if I don't spray off the towels, she's going to be pissed when she, she wakes up and she sees like, Anyway, not, not to be too graphic or whatever, but just, uh, you know, those towels need to be cleaned. Um, so I got to I get everything outside. I got to dump in the thing. Then I got to put it on this rack and spray it down. And then I'm like, OK, the carpet, got to clean it, got to do whatever, got to make sure it's folded over so it'll dry better because it's already soaking through on the on the back, back side. So I got to make sure I do that. Then I'm like, I got a mop, but then I got to sweep after the mop dries. And then I got to mop again, two mops. Two mops, one of the keys to life, Mo. You mop it, let it dry. See if you missed anything that you swept up, sweep that up, mop it again. It's kind of like <laughs> they brush their teeth, they floss their, floss their teeth, then they brush them again. Same idea, but with your floor. So, so you do, um, I don't want to d- d- uh, go off on a tangent from your story, but do you do any uh, green cleaning or what What sort of cleaning supplies do you use? I, I'm curious. So um, we we have a whole variety of stuff. Um, as I've said before, my wife is a passionate cleaner, passionate about cleaning. So one of her favorite things to do when we have like a TV show on is she will use like one of those sort of green cleaning things, spray in between the grout in the kitchen, take a toothbrush and scrub the grout with a toothbrush, tile by tile is one of her favorite things to do. But then as soon as she finishes, like, oh, look how clean this looks. And now everything else looks so much dirtier. She's a passionate woman. Um, so it, we use that kind of stuff with the mop. We have one of those little spray things that we use a uh, ammonia water mixture. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's good stuff. That works pretty well. And that's that's what I used on this particular night. Um, but yeah, we have we have a whole we have a whole thing. We've got pretty much everything for different purposes. <laughs> I mean, you, you want to have your uh, you know, you want to have your, your powder, your comet for, for the shower floor, you know, but you don't want to use that on other things because it's too strong. You've got some stuff you want to use bleach on, but not everything because it degrades the material. And it's, um, we've got Clorox. We, we've had Clorox wipes in our household the entire, I mean, Chantel had them when we first started dating. It's like, we're like 14 years into Clorox wipes. So when everyone joined our bandwagon when all the COVID phobia a couple of years ago, we're like, dude, we've got like 20 containers of Clorox yeah, people were right like now. man the yeah. Clorox wipes are all sold out they've been sold out buddy we've been hoarding we, <laughs> we were hoarding house <laughs> dude we were we were hoarding cleaning supplies long like long before COVID man I mean we got things of paper towels and toilet paper like we've got enough meat in my freezer right now I mean like th- there's a lot of apocalypse that could happen before we get in trouble so uh yeah we're, we're ready we're ready for uh we're ready for harvesting um, but yeah, man, it was just, it was one of those things like she did that. And then I was like, okay, we're going to just, I'm just going to sleep on the couch with the dog. And then my other dog comes out, fall asleep for like 30 minutes. She's making the noise again. She's got to throw up again. I'm like, great. Mm. fall asleep again. She does it again. Then she drinks a bunch of water and then she starts throwing the water up and I'm like, good God. And then finally, like, I think she finally settles down a little bit. Then my other dog gets by the door and he's like, Ruff. Because now he's like, oh, she's throwing up a bunch of food. I would like to eat that freshly vomited food. And this just goes on like 
all night on, on um, Sunday night after we did the podcast. So I, th- by Monday, I was like, man, I feel sick again. And then just this whole week, it was like, and then yesterday I, I got like the real scratchy. I sound like the guy from like the baritone guy from the Oak Ridge boys. They're like, Ooh, mama, mama guy. Like I get the real like raspy thing and which I think is so awesome. I'm like, it would be so cool to have life to have like this, this booming low voice. It'd be so such an authority, but, uh, it was short lived. I felt, felt better. So I, I think I'm pretty much good to go, but man, I said that I literally was saying that a week ago and then, uh, just one bad night of sleep just, and I forget, like my problem is like, if I feel good, like my memory is completely gone of like what happened two days before the day before whatever. So it was like by Sunday I was training like, dude, I'm a hundred percent. I'm ready to go. And then I forget that I was super sick a couple of days before and then don't sleep the night after that. And then the next morning I'm like, oh, I'm going to get a good lift in. And then by that afternoon, I'm like, I feel pretty terrible. I don't know why. And I'm like, oh yeah, I've had like two sleepless nights and I've had like this and that and I was sick and this is kind of dumb, but the memory is short lived, man. Cause it's, uh, my thing is always like, you got to take advantage of the opportunities you have. And it's, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to mitigate that with any sort of sense of measurement. Cause I'm always like, life is short. This could be my last workout ever. Let's make it a good one. And then, uh, and then I get sick. So, you know, some people like, they, some people are like, Oh, I gotta motivate myself to work out. I'm like, dude. I hey, have do you really con- consciously out. think uh, about that? Like, when when you're doing something, do you actually say whatever it is you're doing? This could be my last meal, or this could be my last I, workout. I, I really, I, I do think about that a lot, and I think about that a lot when it comes to like training and stuff like that. That's why I hate like, um, I, I hate missing like our Saturday or whatever because I'm like, it's everything is finite. Um, I've had training partners dial me like suddenly um, and just while, people in life while training with you. I mean, <laughs> that's not what the police think. So that's not what happened. No, um, no, it, it's happened. And it's happened with people I've been friends with where it's like, you just you have to let go of the choke when they're tapping. Yeah. That's the problem. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> we, we let go when I say we let go. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up just because I, I see the value in thinking that way. And I always hear about that. You know, you'll see it in movies, you'll read it in books about yeah. people that are, are reminding you that, Hey, this could be the last time you see a loved one, or this could be the yeah. last time you get to enjoy this moment. Yeah. And it also is extremely relevant to all the stoicism stuff that we've gone over the last few years. I still don't find myself doing that very often for, for whatever, what reason I very much operate with a mindset like to tomorrow, one year out, five years out, 10 years out, like a very, very yeah. long term yeah. mindset. Even when, um, you don't show up on a Saturday to train, I don't think about like, man, what would happen? You know, I'm, I'm bummed out because it's such a big part of productivity for me. Like it really yes has an effect on my mood and it really sets the tone for the upcoming week because we have a lot of conversations that are not on the podcast that are very philosophical, very business related, and they kind of spark a lot of ideas for me for the next week. So I really, really value that time, but I don't ever think it's going to be like, if we skip a day, I don't ever feel like, oh, this is going to be the last time ever. I just, I automatically start looking towards the future. Like, I'm going to see him next Saturday and we'll pick up right where we left off. Yeah. And I do that in everything in life. And, yeah. I don't, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know where I sit on all of that. I try to well, shift my, I mean, because I, like I said, I see the value in being in the present and being in the moment because that's really what that is, right? When you're, when you're saying to yourself, let me enjoy, you're basically saying, let me enjoy the moment because it could be my last moment. And that's yeah. really what people should be doing is what they say. And it's what I believe. I, I, it's my, I am of that opinion, but man, I am just not wired that way. I'm always wired thinking about the future. I, you know, I think it's, I'm, I, I like what you're saying because it's kind of like we're finding the balance between your, your inner optimist and your inner pessimist and which is the better operating system to live under. And I, I like where you're coming from, which is a more optimistic, like things are going to work out type mentality. Um, 
and I think that the, the key, like everything, is to find that balance. Because if you, if the idea of like, well, this could be my last time ever, there's a certain option to be like, well, screw it, who cares then? You know what I mean? Like if you live every day as if it's going to be your last, it's like, well, that's maybe not a great way to live. I mean, you'd be chain smoking cigarettes and like doing whatever, like who cares? <laughs> I mean, like that's not good. Um, at the same time, like taking things for granted, you know. That is so good that you said that, right? Yeah. I wonder what is the probability of someone living an extreme lifestyle if yeah. they knew that it was going to be their last day on earth. And you yeah. don't want to do that, right? Like an extreme in anything is is terrible. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, there's the uh, the baseball player, uh, Mickey Mantle. I don't know if you were a baseball fan, but I was a big baseball fan growing up. And my dad was um, a Yankees fan. So he saw Mickey Mantle play, play baseball back in the 50s. And Mickey Mantle, um, all the men in his family had died, I think, in their mid-30s or early 40s. They all died relatively early. So he just assumed, I'm going to be dead by 40, and I'm going to live that way. And so he did. I mean, like, he played baseball, and he was a great baseball player, but he was he drank plenty, he chased plenty of women, he did, like, whatever, blew his money, didn't care. And all of a sudden, he's, like, 65, and he's like, damn it. <laughs> I didn't think this was going to happen. So, um, and he, you know, he had a lot of health issues and stuff like that. So there definitely is, like, something to be said for, I, I don't know. It's it's a good question because I think if you're if you're coming from a place, my the reason that I work on becoming more optimistic is let's just say this is my last year or month or whatever. I wanted to live it well. I want to treat people well. I want to do things as well as I can. And the way I operate best is when I'm optimistic about things. So it's even like, you know, you could see the meteor coming and I'd still want to live in an optimistic way, even though it might be for a short amount of time. If I get cynical um, it's a bad spiral for me. Um, partly because it's just, again, for whatever reason throughout my life, a lot of random people have died from, you know, when I was six, I had a classmate who had a brain tumor and I, he went from like this normal kid to like limping to like in a wheelchair to couldn't speak to dead in like five months when I was six, um, to like my grandmother dropped dead. Like when I was 11, just, I went on this little school trip, came back, she was dead. I had a kid when I was um, 13 who uh, died in a plane crash. Um, like it just, it was just a sort of a series of things that happened throughout my life. And one of my best training partners, uh, Gary Claxton, uh, killed himself like 12 years ago. Just, I still have no idea why to this day. Just, I saw him and then a week and a half later he was dead. So there's a part of me that's like, thinks it's sort of justifies like, ah, here you go. But for me personally, um, when I start thinking that way, it makes it harder to, to justify trying or to justify um, acting in the, in the way that I think is, is the best way to act. So for me, I need to always remember the short-lived thing, but it's like, okay, it may not last long, but, so let's do it well. Um, you know, for you, you may be coming from a different point of view where it's like, it, it just works better to be thinking long-term because if you think long-term then you don't sweat the little things you know because it's almost the same way it's almost like looking at it like okay if i let's say that my plan is a five-year plan and there's a little bump for the next month or two it's like it's a five-year plan now let's say i'm like this is my last two months on earth does that little bump matter more i mean it shouldn't it's your last two months who cares you're out of here so it's kind of looking at it in a way sort of the same way in terms of just ultimately those little things are not that important um, as long as you're valuing the people and things that are important to you, which I know you do. So it's, I don't know, it's kind of an interesting way of coming to the same conclusion of like, this is the way I operate best by thinking long term. And then maybe the way that you can do it is I'm not going to sweat the small things. The sun's going to come out tomorrow. Everything's going to work out all right. Or this might be it. So why am I worried about this small thing? You know, I mean, kind of. Yeah. And I think it, for me, I, I'm so glad you, you, you said all that because it really is making me think about, you know, which one am I? What, and why do I think the way I, I do think? And as you say all this, I, again, I go back to that philosophy of, you know, I'm not sure if there's a, a right or a wrong answer. I think there's just what's right for you. I, and I start thinking about what you just said. 
And why do I think the way I think? I, I, I guess because maybe to a certain degree, I am a very competitive and extreme person. And if I don't think long term, I probably would never sleep. I would yeah. probably be on the side of like everything has to get done today. Um, and I will get it done today at at whatever cost uh, or whatever price I have to pay in order to get that done. Um, whereas thinking that there is a tomorrow allows my mind to rest a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So it's And I think that so it comes down to the same thing. Like, how do I optimize myself? Like, what frame of mind do I need to be in? in order to be my best self. And, and it's, it can be, you know, simply that the idea of I'm going to think long term on this and that's going to make me chill out on obsessing over at this moment. Um, for me, sometimes it's going, dude, you only got so many times around on this. Do you really want to spend it being this miserable son of a bitch about this thing? You know, and, and it's, it's funny, actually, I noticed, um, one thing I've been catching myself with lately is like getting too angry about certain things and just saying it out loud to myself. I'm like, you're getting too angry about this. And it's actually been working really well. Like I was, um, I was, uh, at the grocery store yesterday. I, I go to central market because I'm a fancy dude. I go there once a week, <laughs> get some of those central market sausages. And, uh, you know, sometimes they're flour tortillas. They're just better than the ones at HEB deal with it, people. Um, so, and I go and it's like Saturday and Chantel's doing yoga school this weekend. So it's it's like noon or one o'clock on a Saturday, which is not the good time to go. Like that that place is just so crowded and the, the parking lot is crowded. And I'm going and there's some dude in a truck and like he's just kind of blocking this thing. So I'm kind of going around him and he starts moving his truck and then he looks at me, does one of those things. And it was everything I could do to not stop the car. Just I, I was just so mad. And I'm driving around I'm like, I'm getting way too mad about this. I need to go, leave, come back here at a later time because it's too crowded. I'm too stressed. I'm in this mentality. And it's like the only good thing that can happen is nothing bad happens in this moment because I am so – if somebody else does some innocuous thing that I wouldn't even think about normally, I'm not in a good mindset. And it's like I'm, I'm – it'll be easy to escalate something. You know what I mean? And – so that's sort of that combination of, of, of that thinking, I guess is the way to say it. And I did, I went back at like seven and it was empty and they had all the good sausages and it was a total win. So <coughs> I'm glad I did it that way, but I'm not always that mature, but in the moments I have maturity, I like and to And you know, I don't, and I don't think it's one way or the other, like you have to be a long-term person or a short-term person. I think it's about finding when they're both different tools and when to use yes. which ones. Because what I can say yes. is in terms of business for me, it's been, I am very much Rome has to be built in a day type of person when it comes to business. So I try yeah. to force myself to take a long uh, term approach to it because yeah. it allows me to, you know, basically maintain my mental health. Yes. But I think an area where it's important to take a very short term approach is when you're dealing with friends and family. For sure. Yeah. Like when you're interacting yeah. with them, you should interact with them. And probably it's 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 good to remind yourself, behave in a way that is if this was your last time interacting with this person, that yeah. you would be able to live with yourself. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's funny, man, because I think about that. Um, you know, I have a lot of nieces and nephews at this point. Like I feel like more are getting born by the day. <laughs> and I, I, I thought about that because it's like, you know, I had one thing that I've struggled with as an adult is, especially as, a, as an adult man, is I, I had no good male role models growing up. I had uh, alcoholism on both sides of my family. I had um, uncles that uh, were borderline creepy in the creepy way to like miserable alcoholics to why does this uncle still live with his parents at 47? I don't know. Don't want to know. You know, that kind of and, and it. So when I started having nieces and nephews, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is going to be awesome. Uncle Carter is he's doing it right. They're going to ask me questions about life. I'm going to tell them <laughs> things they're going to say. Cares, man. Should, Nobody cares. They should. You should have a podcast, Uncle Carter. You should write a book, you know, like all that. And none of that has come to pass. No. Um, but I, I kind of realized at some point, 
like that's not how it works. Like the this idea of like this is going to be a scene from Goodwill Hunting, and I'm Robin Robin Williams, and my nephew is is you know what's his name, Matt Damon, you know, or whatever, and he's going to be seeking. It's not how Will. it's not how life works. <laughs> but but what it is is that um, if you are showing up, if you are doing what you say, and you know, sort of living the best version of yourself, people will pick up on that. And and it's like, it is playing the long game because it's not like, for the most part, I don't think life comes down to like, you just give these words of advice and everything changes. It's like, it, it's, it's, there's a repetition to it. There's a repetition of seeing like, you know, if you have parents that like say they're going to do stuff and they never do it, you see that year after year, it's like, it makes you look at them a certain way. But if you have somebody who is doing things and, and like, you know, in shape and doing like always bringing you the present and always doing this and that throughout a certain amount of time, that starts to become an influence on something, maybe even subconsciously. That's and to me, that's sort of playing the long game, but understanding each interaction matters, but it doesn't matter in the way of like, you're going to say all these things and you're going to hug and you're you're going to leave and they're going to be playing Celine Dion music when you do all it's it's not I don't think life really comes down to that most of the time I think it is like you're that that good example and maybe they don't even realize it until you're gone I mean but it's still like that to me is sort of the more important thing than because I think that when you're trying to make like directly influence somebody at that moment that it's almost like you're selling them or you're being a politician or you're being something that's not particularly um, it's, it's sort of a disingenuous. I find myself when when I'm doing that, when I was much younger, um, that I was usually yeah. virtue signaling. Yeah, yeah, and and it's I mean it's easy to it's easy to do because it's like you still it's like I want to be a good influence, like I I 100% do, and I feel that I am, and when, like it used to frustrate the hell out of me when I felt like that wasn't being appreciated or acknowledged or whatever. But it's like. But that's just not how it works. And, and it's like, yeah, the, the young man thinks that you're going to say these things or or do whatever. It's like you you say this wonderful thing and the girl just falls in love with you. And it's like, OK, that's a nice idea. But that's when not... you bring up something important. If we rewind a little bit, how how does how do you think one lives their best life every day? What is that? What does that look like? I mean, to me, I, I look at it. Yeah, I mean, for me, I look at it as like just being the best version of yourself. I mean, we've talked about this from like a jiu-jitsu point of view of like, if you start comparing yourself to other people, you're doomed to a life of like misery and, and, and insecurity and, and unsatisfaction. To me, it should always be like, look at me a year ago or five years ago. You know, this is taking that long-term thinking that you're thinking about. You can take that in reverse. And so what I mean by that is a lot of times... You may be like, especially, you know, I think about this with what I'm doing and it's like, it's so slow. Commercial real estate is like a glacier. But then I look at it and I'm like, God, a year ago, I wasn't even done this project that now I'm about to fully lease out. And, and I'm already like eight, nine months into this next one, which will probably break ground in January. And then, you know, so a year from now, that thing will be probably done. I mean, that's that's a lot of progress when you look at it. But when you look at it from a day to day, it's like, good God, nothing's happened today type of thing. So it can be frustrating to get to, to worry about the day to day. So the idea to me is that um, you're doing you're doing all the things that you know you should be doing. It's kind of like when, when you see a guy coming out to a fight and the guy that usually looks relaxed, who fights loose and all that, knows in his heart, in his soul, he did everything he could to prepare for that fight. Everything that was under his control, you know, running in the morning, the diet, the mitt work, you know, the rest, meditation, everything that he needed to do, he did. And the guys that, to me, when you see, like, they're, like, weird bravado or they're doing this or they're talking a bunch of smack that they don't normally do or whatever, it's, like, a lot of times that's trying to make up for the fact that they know they're not prepared. So, to me, it's, like, it's kind of like you, you want to go into the fight of life knowing you did everything that you could do and you should do and that doesn't what mean do you that think you, it means when people say i'm living my best life does it mean that there's i mean that that's a little i think that's it, a little instagrammy thing or whatever sure, but, but like does it does it mean that they're enjoying the moment does it mean that they're 
they're happy. What is it? What does it mean? I don't, that's a good question. I mean, I, I mean, what, what would it mean to you? Like if you were, if you were, if Mo was living his best life, which I don't see you saying, but let's just say you did say that. Um, what would that, what would that be? Living my best life. Well, you know, I mean, whenever I think about living my best life, it usually comes to happiness, um, being happy, being content, right? And that brings up another question. And I'm not trying to divert because I, I want to circle back to what it means to me. But yeah. I was talking to somebody um, about happiness and they wanted to distinguish between happiness and joy. Is there, mm. what's the what's the difference between the two? That's a good question. That's a good question. Because I think that- Because um, they were more concerned about being joyful. That's interesting. As opposed to being like happy is more like temporary and fle and fleeting. Yeah, I always get that feeling that happiness is. I feel like it's happiness is kind of an emotion. Um, I don't know. I kind of look at joy the same way, though. I look at more like I've always thought about being content. Yes. Like, and, and the content, again, means that I know I'm doing what I need to do. And it doesn't mean that I'm like jumping up and down and super excited, although it can be that. But it's not like this nagging feeling of like I'm neglecting stuff or I'm, there's things that I'm really avoiding or whatever it is. Um, but if I'm just seeking happiness, like. So I, I guess I that's know, what that's it is question. for me then. I guess that's 100% what it is for me. And we've talked about this before. And I, and I get this definition from Naval, right? Like happiness is being content, like not wanting for anything. Yeah. So I would say yeah. for me, living my best life would be waking up and not wanting for anything, feeling that. I have enough, and then I get to spend my day trying to be the best version of myself mentally, physically, and spiritually, because yeah. that's what I can control, right? Like, there's nothing that I can control. Like, if I woke up and I had some, God forbid, sickness, well, I can't control that, right? But what I can control yeah. is how I eat, how I train, yes. mentally, you know, if I'm, like, mentally unhealthy, well, I, you know, a lot of times you can't control, I, I don't know if you can control depression and things like that, but I can control like the books that I read and how I meditate and who I surround myself with. And then just from a yeah. spiritual standpoint, whatever your spirituality is, um, just staying connected to that. So controlling what I can control, I would say living the, my best life is just waking up every day and being content, right? And not wanting for anything. And then because I'm content, I get to focus on me. And what I would focus on is doing everything I can do to be the best version of myself mentally, physically, and spiritually. Yeah, yeah, because I think, you know, it's funny. I, I don't know if I've told you this before, but for a long time, I wanted, I would always call it my Ocean's Eleven moment. You've seen Ocean's Eleven? Yes. The George Clooney one, not the Yes. Yeah. So at the end of the movie where, where they're- Not the Sammy Davis watch, Jr. Was it Sammy Davis Jr.? Yeah, not Jr. the Sammy Reynolds? Davis, Frank, Frank Sinatra one. But the, uh, <laughs> The Clooney one. Um, at the end of the movie, they pulled off the heist. They've robbed Terry Benedict, three casinos and all that. And they're standing in front of the Bellagio watching the fountain go off. And they're all just standing there. And then sort of one by one, they walk away until it's just Carl Reiner looking at the fountain. And then he leaves. And it's like this moment, this beautifully filmed moment with beautiful music. And, and I always thought, like, I want to be that happy. I want to feel like I've accomplished this thing. It doesn't have to be a heist but it could be, um, but like something where I feel like, ah, oh. and I was sitting there the other night and I'm, uh, you know, Chantel's, the, we're on the, our couch that we love and the dogs are there. And I'm just like, Ocean's Eleven moment. Dude, I've got an Ocean's Eleven life. Like this is, I've got like, like, cause it's like, you, you see the sequel and it's like, everyone's in debt and Terry Benedict's caught them. Now they got to do another heist against some French dude just to, get the money back to pay off the guy and it, like it's miserable like they had this little moment and it's like right back down to, to you know being criminals and doing this and that and i'm like i've got this i i realize like it's this, this sense of sort of fulfillment and contentness that to me is far outweighs like this idea of happiness and i think that when people look for for the idea of happiness um i see it a lot with like relationships where especially young guys make this mistake a lot. I'm sure young women make it too, but I, I, I know the guy mentality where it's like, oh, like 
this girl's beautiful. And if I was, if I was with her, I'd be so happy. Or you see it, they talk about some celebrity, whoever it is. And like, so they break up, like, how could they break up with her? She's so beautiful. And it's like, dude, you have no idea. Like that's doesn't, that that's like a, I mean, attractiveness matters, I guess, but it's like, it, it's like this weird mentality of like, oh, if I had this, then I will be this. Like the, if, if this, then that type of thinking. And for, life to me that's just not a good way to live because it's like like seek, seeking that contentment finding those different things that you need to do in order to feel that contentment and that that um satisfaction or whatever you want to say to me far outweighs this idea of like these little moments of like happiness and w- when i say it was an instagrammy thing to me it always feels like people are trying to set up the highlight real version of life where you see this sunset and you're hanging out on the river doing whatever and it's like oh living my best life and it's like is it though because i don't know to me that seems like a huge pain in the ass and how many pictures did you have to take and how many people like how much work did you have to do to make it look like you're not doing any work so that you can get people to buy into this illusion of your lifestyle so somehow you can profit off it versus I don't know, like just enjoying your private time with your family or whatever, knowing like I've got money in the bank, I've got deals coming up, I've got these things, I'm healthy, I get to train tomorrow with my boys, I get to do this and that. Like to me, that's way better than having to declare it to the world because you're trying to convince somebody, probably yourself, that you're truly happy. Like it's it's a weird, it's like sort of that that hustle that you see people do on that stuff. So yeah, I don't know. I think uh content i agree with naval about content over happy because i feel like happiness is fleeting and um i hadn't thought about joy though that's that's interesting what do you think about the difference between happiness and joy i you know i haven't really dived too much into it i i just default back to like for the sake of argument um happiness and joy are the same thing but i need to i need to study a little bit more and because i'm sure that they're not um but i but I wonder, you know, one of the darkest things, in my opinion, is a person that can never be content, right? Yeah. Like, what yeah. a horrible life to me that is. And I'm wondering if, how does a person become content? When is enough enough? You know what I mean? Is it, is it, is it a feeling that you have that, like, I don't really need anymore? Because I think that's what it is for me. Like, right now, I feel yeah. pretty content, um, yeah. you know. I like what our boy Will Will Caldwell says. It's like I'm content, but I'm not going to turn away gifts that God or the universe continues to push my way. Right? Like there's nothing wrong with having more, but I'm completely yeah. happy with what I have now. Yeah. And yeah. I, I I would tend to agree with that a hundred percent. But when does a person? I mean, I would assume it's a feeling for someone that they they wake up one day and they're like, I really don't want anything more. But if that's the case then I would assume that there's some people out there that don't know when enough is enough. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, I think it comes down to that again, it's sort of if then I would feel, I feel bad for those people. I I really do. And I pray and I hope that I'm never that person because life is too short for that. And and it can never be enough if you just have, it's a mindset, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I, cause I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's, it's sort of that if then, if this, then that type of thinking. So it's like, cause they are seeking like a lot of times it might be financial. Like if I get, if I only get this much money, then I'll be happy or I'll be joyful or, or content or whatever. And it's like, they're, they're seeking happiness or content in things that, that you're never going to, because the number just keeps going up because it's like, if like, oh, if I can afford what my neighbor can afford, like then I'll be happy or I'll move into a new neighborhood where now I have to afford, you know, 10 times more. And it's, it never ends if that's the way you're looking for it. And I'm, I'll be completely honest. So I, I'm not going to virtue signal at all. I mean, I, I mean, I, I've done that. I, I find myself as I get yeah. older and as I have more, I do it less and less, Yeah. but I can honestly tell you that there was a time where I literally forget about living check to check. I mean, I had zero dollars in the bank. And I, if I, I, I literally said to myself, if I could just have a house one day, I don't care what the house yeah. is. If I could just have a house one day and have yeah. my own car and, you know, have my yeah. own car one day, I've made it. Yeah. And guess yeah. what? 
I got, I got a house, got a car. And I was like, okay, well now if yeah. I could just have that house over there <laughs> and I got that house and then I'm like, you know, and then if I built a backyard kitchen and a swimming pool yeah. that, you know what I mean? Um, I so I've, I've done all those things. I, I, I really have, but where I feel good about it now is I'm waking up less and I'm waking up more and more. And I start thinking, and when I start to have those thoughts, I'm like, eh, I really don't have the energy for it, which yeah. to me is like being content, right? Like I'm full. Yes. My appetite is full. Like, eh, yeah. I don't really want to work for that anymore. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, you're right because it's different phases of life. There's different energy. There's different, um, like when you're living paycheck to paycheck, you should want to have a house and a car one day. It's good to have that ambition of not wanting to live paycheck to paycheck. Like, cause it's, and I think that's always the balance that we're trying to figure out is that how do you keep your ambition, keep that motor going that has gotten you as far as it's gotten you, how do you keep it going without it? taking over like how do you drive the motor so that you still have the feeling of contentment without yeah, I being something with their, lazy so i was driving around the other day and i take these notes from my son i have like a whole list of them um of little like words of wisdom to my son and one of the things that i recently wrote down was you will never master money until you stop caring about money yeah and the reason why i wrote that down is because i started to think about a lot of the people that really have been titans of industry and have mastered money and it's yeah. usually they get to a point where it's not about the money yeah, it, it, and the money doesn't even drive them. And the, the, yeah. the point is, is that as long as you are, as long as you care about the money, you are not the master over money. Money is the master over you. Yes. Yeah. And it's funny. I think we're, you know, we'll get topical for a moment. Um, it's been interesting to see some of the reaction of Elon Musk buying Twitter. Because people look at him and they're like, he's the richest man in the world. Why is he charging $8 for that blue check on Twitter? And it's like, because Twitter lost hundreds of millions of dollars last year and it needs to make money because if the business doesn't make money, then there's no point to it past a certain point. It's like, let's make this into a legitimate business. And by paying money for something, now you are a customer. And there's, I read somewhere along the way with like, if you're not paying money for something, you're not the customer, you're the product. And I think that's pretty accurate. But if you are paying for something, money for something, now you're a customer. Now you can demand certain things, you can do certain things, you can upgrade, you can choose not to buy in. It, to me, it makes sense. And I feel like he, again, this could be completely me buying into his bullshit, maybe. But I feel like he looked at something and said, this is a problem, I could help solve this, I'm going to. Just like he did with Pollution. He's like, well, we should have electric vehicles because that would pollute less. Oh, but wait, you need to make electricity, so we should have solar panels to make it. Oh, but the problem is storing electricity, so we should have batteries to store them. Oh, but, you know, ultimately we may still need to move to Mars, so I should start a rocket company so we can go to Mars. All <laughs> the rockets are too expensive. Well, I will reduce the cost by making the batteries. You know, like, it's it just, to me, I see a problem solver who wants to make things better. And yes, he is the richest man in the world. So obviously some of these things have been fairly profitable, but if it was just about the money, um, I don't think he would be taking on all these things because people make it out like, oh, it's just coming in and buying. I'm like, do you realize how much work it is to buy a freaking, I, I don't know, because I've never done it, but the idea of buying this, this multi-billion dollar company and coming yeah, it's in. Yeah, like you're coming in and, and buying some mom and pop, you know, in some small town. Yeah, and it's not like he doesn't have other multi-billion dollar businesses going on at the same time. So to me, it's like that. that's when I see a problem solver. And that's I, I appreciate that. And it has to be, I think that that's one thing that I love about being an entrepreneur. That's is, so good that you, you know, that's something I'm going to write down for my son. Uh, yeah. When people ask me that they, well, when people say like, I want to make more money, I think the answer is to solve bigger problems. Yeah, right? I agree. Bigger the problem the more money you make. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I will I will even bring up- I mean, but the um, bigger the problem that you solve, in other words, right? Yeah, I, I will even bring up, you know, one of most sworn enemies, those those horrible people over in Maine, the origin people, yes, the ones making the no, inferior- No, they're not. <laughs> no. So, but what, what I like about them, what I, the guy, uh, Pete Roberts was the guy who started the company, is he was like, you know what? I want to make an American-made Gi, jiu-jitsu gi. And he realized like, 
dude, this is damn near impossible. Like, number one, there's no like looms in all of the United States, much less anyone who knows how to use them. And then if you want cotton, like to source cotton from the U.S. is extremely difficult. And he kind of went down the line. And then rather than being like, ah, all right, well, I'll just import them from somewhere else or I'll, I'll do something else. Where I was like, no, this is a problem. I want something that's 100 percent made in the United States. And I think there's people that are going to be willing to pay 300 bucks a gee to do it. I'm going to try it. And so he did. And origin, come on, or origin gee started. But then he was like. Well, now that I've got all this infrastructure in place, people like jeans. You can't get more American than a pair of blue jeans, but you can't get any blue jeans that are made in America. I'm going to change all that. So he started making jeans. And he's like, what looks good with jeans? Boots. I'm going to make boots. And he did all that. He's like, well, I got a lot of red-blooded Americans that are my fans. They need hunting gear. I'm going to make hunting gear. So it's like when you become that entrepreneurial mindset, you start seeing more problems that you can solve that a lot of times are related to whatever business you start. Um, so it, it becomes something that, uh, you know, you see Jeff Bezos do that with like Amazon, where he's like, okay, I've got the distribution in place. Maybe I should start making some product. We starts making the Kindle. And he's like, well, now mm, let's do streaming video. That'll be good. He starts doing that. He's like, well, I need more videos. I should buy a film studio. So he starts doing that. And then he's like, well, we're delivering all this stuff, but we really could start delivering groceries too. I'll buy Whole Foods. Like, so we buy, I mean, so it kind of, the, the synergy of that that entrepreneur sometimes becomes more and more. And it, it yeah, I, I'm sure there's more money with every step. But what people don't think about is every step you do, that also costs you way more money and risk because the risk is that you're spreading yourself too thin. You know, you're getting exposed, you're getting, you know, you're kind of, um, you know, getting your head over your skis or whatever you want to say. But I, I think that people like that just look at it as like, here's a problem that I could solve. So I'm going to solve it. And that's what I love about the entrepreneurial mindset. And, and I don't think that it's just about the money. I mean, the money is part of it, but it's not all of it because it's that love of solving problems. And that's. Uh, well, you know, and I think money is how you keep score in all honesty. Right. Exactly. exactly. If you're not making any money, guess what that means? And I, and I tell this because we recently hired a manager for Nice Guy and Trusted Cleaning. And we have these Monday morning you know, meetings where um, we talk a lot of philosophy and we talk a lot of the stuff that we that we discuss here on the podcast. Um, yeah. to try to sharpen that that blade and, and build that entrepreneurial mindset and that mental fortitude. Right. And. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know where I was going with any of it. It's not important. Oh, but, but I think it, what, what is important about it is that, um, you know, when you are, like you'd said before, thinking long-term, looking down the road, um, this is how you, you have built your, your growing number of businesses, even though they seem on the surface as being completely unrelated, um, but they're not. I mean, you're seeing that, um, especially with the, the painting company and the cleaning company, yeah, you're seeing that, that that idea of like people. And being you like, have oh. so eloquently jogged my memory. Where I was going with it, where I was going with this before I've been punched too many times, uh, <laughs> was that money is how you keep score. And one of the things that I was discussing with her is that look, if we're not making any money, all that really means is that we're not solving any problems. Exactly. Right? Because every time a client calls you, they're calling with a specific problem. Yeah. And if you're able to solve it, they're going to happily pay you. Imagine yes. that you're a jujitsu school owner. If you don't have any students, all that really means is that you're not helping anybody. Yeah. You're not solving any problems, right? Yes. yes. And, and it's a good sort of philosophical question, too, because when you see people that um, struggle with making money, the jujitsu school owner, whatever it might be, and on the surface, they may be like giving all of themselves, like, you know, teaching and super passionate and doing all these things. Um, but they're still struggling and they're still struggling to make money. It's like, well, usually that that is a sign that some problem is not being answered. Like, I, OK, so, for instance, I knew a guy who owned a school and I like the guy. He's a good guy. I did whatever I could do to help him save his school. And, and eventually he decided that teaching full time was not for him. And, and a lot of people come to that conclusion sooner or later. But during his, you know, building a school up, he had a sort of a, a, a mutiny. Like as all jujitsu schools always, there's at least, there's always one mutiny. If you're in jujitsu for any amount of time, 
that mutiny's coming. Sooner or later, there's going to be like a top student <laughs> that leaves. Funny. I'm out of here. And they, they take a bunch of students or whatever it is. There is always a mutiny. So there was a mutiny. And I remember thinking like, man, I know how much he cares. And I know how much he's giving. Why would these guys do this to him? But then I started really trying to help him. And I saw resistance to learning technology. This guy's my age or younger than me. Like this idea of like, I can't learn this internet thing. Yes, you can. Like you're choosing not to. You're choosing to, to, to stay ignorant by choice. Or like when it came to marketing, it's like, I'm going to send a bunch of flyers, but oops, I put the wrong phone number on them. Like just sort of weird, like, like weird carelessness and all these things. And I'm like, well, are you solving all the students' problems? Because yeah, you may teach a good class, but if you're this disorganized and you're this lackadaisical about these things that matter, then you're you're solving certain problems, but you're creating other problems. And you're creating a, a feeling of discontent. And sometimes when that feeling grows, it doesn't matter how good the product is. It's like from the painting business, the guy could be a masterful painter. He's, he's supposed to be here at Monday at eight, eight o'clock in the morning. He shows up Tuesday at midnight. I'm gonna do this masterful paint job. Why are you all mad? It's like, it doesn't matter because you're not, you're creating discontent by not showing up on time and you could do the best product in the world, but if you're violating that, you're already pissing people off and it better be such an amazing paint job that they forgive you, but most people are not and they're gonna hire somebody else. So you may be great at what you're doing, but if you're ignoring those customer service aspects, then you're not actually helping people. Even though you say you are and you're giving all yourself, you're not really. So, well, it goes into I something agree. interesting I was thinking about over this weekend, and it was, you know, we we're thinking a lot about leadership. <coughs> and what I think about it is that, you know, managers are good managers are able to maintain a course. That's what good managers are able to do, maintain a course. Yeah. But a leader, and I, and, 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 Notice how I don't say CEO or entrepreneur, because just because you're a CEO or an entrepreneur doesn't mean you're a good leader. I agree. So while a good manager can maintain a course, a good leader has the ability to completely change the course. Yes. Right. And so there's a lot of people that are involved in business and they have their own businesses, but they are not good leaders. In other words, they're able to teach a good class. They can be good teachers. They can be um, good practitioners. They can be good managers. But getting people to follow them and having and, and having that type of influence to build culture within your company or within your jujitsu school is is a completely different skill set. And if you don't have it, it's very, very important that you recognize it and bring in someone that does. And I've seen that a lot. I've seen it with um, school owners like who you are referencing right now, and they're not able to build that culture. And then I've yeah. seen it with other people like, uh, Robbie Rabati, I've seen it with Tom DeBlas, who yeah. are able to build a culture within their community and people yeah. will follow them, you know, right yeah. or wrong, they're going to follow them. And that yeah. to, to a certain degree, to a large degree is in, is influence. And when you have influence, you're just, you're just displaying the ability to lead. Yes. And I think that, you know, the, what I would always say with the people that will call that being like a sellout or a salesman or whatever, is that would you rather have the ability to, to help a thousand students or a hundred students? Like if jujitsu has changed your life that much, if it's that important to you, would you rather be able to influence 10 times the amount of people you can influence now? Because a hundred yeah. students who are barely the people get that say, like, who, who are the people that argue that, that are like, that person's a sellout? Who would that I think person the, be? I think the people that can't get a thousand and, and they're going to say it's because they're keeping it too real. Because I would say, you know, my argument for that would be is, I mean, what's, the, you know, what are some of the greatest or what's one of the greatest historical accomplishments ever? And I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm literally, literally asking, what would be one that, that you would say is a great historical accomplishment? Touring Gracie starting the UFC. Okay. Well, that took sales, right? Like the ability Absolutely. to sell, you had yeah. to sell it to people and that took leadership. Like any yes. great accomplishment that's ever happened historically was yeah. an individual having yeah. to be able to influence and influence is just another word for sell. Yeah. Sell it to other people and they yeah. all buy into the vision. Let's buy yeah. into my vision. Yeah. And if you yeah. follow me, it's going to lead to greener pastures. Right. Yeah. 
and any great accomplishment that you know for any of the haters out there whatever great accomplishment if there's something that motivates you inspires you that has happened in history well guess what the person who accomplished that he did it or she did it because they were their ability to sell and influence and get people to buy into their vision yeah and i mean this you see this a lot in jiu-jitsu where you know talking about horian or horian's sons henry and huron uh people will be like oh those guys are sellouts they they give blue belts online they they um you know they're showing like just bs jujitsu like they're there's like those guys don't compete like a competition blue belt is going to beat their black belts and yada 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 and to me it's I've never really agreed with that because number one, I think those guys are incredibly good teachers. Uh, number two, they reach at least according to them, and I'll, I'll just assume they're saying they're correct. They're like Gracie University has 150,000 students worldwide. 150,000 students. People are saying that because they're jealous because they can't reach 150,000 people because jujitsu is a niche sport. So if you're gonna sort of do a white glove approach to jiu-jitsu, which is what they do, where they they have a museum, their school is beautiful and clean. And I went to their school in Torrance and it's the biggest, most impressive jiu-jitsu school I've ever seen. It was beautiful. There's a museum, the Gracie Museum right there. Uh, those guys are incredibly nice. I've talked to both of them. Like they're giants too. It's weird. They're, they look like normal sized people until you see them in person. They're both giants. So it's proportionate. Um, and, and they have spread jujitsu much further than if it was done just sort of in this thuggish like you know just i'm gonna tap you out and if you come back you do if you don't you're not tough enough type thing we talked about that last week i mean like there's something to be said for white gloving it and people are like they don't have any good students dude brian ortega fought for the title at ufc 145 i mean like brian ortega is a damn good fighter and he's completely from the gracie academy from white belt up so they can produce somebody at that level and if people think they can run over those two dudes probably not unless you're at the highest level those dudes are good at jiu-jitsu those guys know their stuff but they also know how can we package this in a way that it's not threatening to the average person and for people to complain about that it's like dude if that was not done there would never have been a ufc if there never would have been a ufc you would not be doing jiu-jitsu like and that is 99.9 percent .9 of the planet Maybe some random people in Brazil would have been doing it here and there. But even from people that I hear that are from Brazil, even those people say that jiu-jitsu wasn't popular until after the UFC. If you listen to Robert Drysdale in an interview, he's like, oh, yeah, no, I thought like kung fu and karate growing up as I was a kid. I never heard of jiu-jitsu until Hoyce fought in the UFC. And, and that's interesting that you say that because a lot of people, me included, when I started jiu-jitsu um, going on 10 years now, I used to think, well, it's called Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, so that means that, like, I guess if you're born in Brazil, yeah. you, like, from the day that you're born, you get taught Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. No, there, you know, there's so many people, like, uh, there's there's people that live in Brazil that don't even know, like, what Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is. Yeah, the vast majority of people in Brazil don't know what it is. I mean, and, and it's not even, when, even when you're talking about grappling sports, Judo is still way more popular in Brazil and way bigger, and, and Brazil actually has a very good Judo team way more popular than jiu-jitsu now wrestling is not for whatever reason brazil is not a wrestling culture but but judo judo is way more popular so and, and then soccer is way way more popular than either one like soccer is brazilians that that's the passion that's what brazilians are most passionate about sports wise so yeah it, it's it's sort of a myth that jiu-jitsu is this hugely popular sport in brazil it's not and in fact it was really looked down upon um in the 80s and 90s because it was basically just a bunch of hoodlums and you know they would always start trouble and start a bunch of crap wherever they went so it was like jiu-jitsu was frowned upon if anything um it was like the greasers and the socias or something like that if you were jiu-jitsu <laughs> guy so i mean it's yeah i think that it's just funny to hear people talk badly about that sort of sales that influential tactics because it's like dude you wouldn't have a job if it weren't for those guys, because because your your idea of like let's keep it real, let's keep it hardcore, that never would have worked unless the foundation, the groundwork was done by someone like Horian. Um, that's why and, I think that's one of Dave Dave Chappelle's best uh, skits was when keeping it real goes wrong, right? Like that's what it was all based on. That people they yeah, want to keep it so real, and yeah. let me show you how that turns out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, man, it's it's um, it's always interesting to see 
it always goes back to that Teddy Roosevelt quote about critics, about how like, you know, there's the man in the arena and he's the one who's fighting and bleeding and dying. And then there's all the critics that are sitting around watching him criticize. It's always easier to criticize. It's always easier to break something down and, you know, oh, this billionaire Elon Musk who's doing this. Why don't you go make a billion dollars then? Or $150 billion. Like, why don't you go do that in multiple businesses rather than just, oh, this guy's charging yeah, me eight the, bucks yeah, a month. And then their fallback is they virtue signal. Well, money's not important to me. That's yeah, exactly. why I don't do it. Because money's yeah, not important. That's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, yeah, it's a silly thing. And it's like, it's weird when the, the but same I'm going to go rob this liquor store down the street real quick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I get, get my $8 a month for my Twitter blue check or whatever it is. You know, it's just, it's silly. Um, and, and yeah, I don't know. It, it's when you do things to a certain level, it, it's, it, there's always going to be critics. Um, but those people are also the people that changed the world. I mean, Elon has for sure changed the world. He's for sure changed this town. I mean, like, He's changed the geography of this town. Like you can't, like the Gigafactory is a sight to be behold. I mean, if anybody is in Austin and is not driven by it, it's like, dude, that thing is, as a, as a fellow warehouse builder, <laughs> I look at that thing with intense jealousy because I'm like, good God, that thing is like a hundred times bigger than my stuff and he got to build faster. God, that guy's a professional. I'm an amateur. So it's, it's, uh, yeah. And he built like stuff. 10 rockets. I know. I was saying, I was like, yeah, that's not the only thing he was doing, too. I mean, like, he was also <laughs> buying a bunch of other stuff and, you know, Twitter and whatnot. Well, like, maybe, we work what we have. Yeah. <laughs> a big, big curiosity to me is if he's going to move Twitter to Texas. Because there's been talk about that already. And everyone already says that Austin is the new Silicon Valley. So I think he'll probably move Twitter out here. Come so, on. Hopefully we move it to uh, good old Temple. So you can assist with some Dude. of that development. Yeah, that would be uh, that'd be interesting because it's it's been interesting actually. You know, just sort of quick segue, and then we'll I'll stop talking. But um, for whatever reason, I keep reading the news about how like you know Zuckerberg needs to be replaced as CEO of Facebook, and he keeps doubling down on the metaverse, and nobody cares, and blah blah blah. And it's interesting to to like you know when you when you read the news until a few years ago, I think most people assume like, oh, this is true. And I think when, you know, Trump and COVID and blah, 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 that, that led to a lot more news skepticism on, on both sides, right and left. So now it's interesting because I keep reading the news about Facebook is losing money left and right. Blah, blah. And then I go to Temple like five days a week and the, the meta data center is being built like a mile away from my warehouses. So I drive by it like five days a week and I see hundreds of people working on a 315-acre thing that's going to be a million square feet. If you don't know what a million square feet is, an average house is like 1,500 square feet. So like a 1,000 average houses. It's big. A million square feet is a lot of square feet. Um, <laughs> so I'm watching this thing, and, and like, let's just put it this way. In, in the construction of something like that, you're probably looking at around... 150 to 200 dollars a square foot to build something like that plus the cost of the land so whatever i'll say 175 times a million is what 175 million whatever that is that's a a lot of money to spend on building something so i keep reading like this company's broke they're going to go out of business da, 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 da. and then i see these guys working on this thing every day and i'm like well <laughs> i know what i see and i know what i read and the two of those aren't lining up at all. You know, yeah. it's just like, I, I keep reading that, oh, we're in this recession and this recession's going to happen and blah, <coughs> blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, that's not lining up with what I see. So I don't know. It's just, it's, it's one of those things I think that it's very easy to try and tear somebody down. <coughs> but when I see what they're actually doing, I'm like, I think they're doing just fine. And I think that people are trying to use them to further their own agenda more than anything else. <coughs> and with that, I stop talking because I'm coughing too much. <laughs> oh. Mic drop. <laughs>
to check out uh, this episode or to re-listen to our past episodes, go to the Jiu-Jitsu of Life. Check us out on Apple iTunes. Like, review, subscribe. Shout out to Robles, makers of the world's finest custom Jiu-Jitsu apparel. Nobody can be you better than you. Robles, be authentic. Also, check out Yellow Pine Investments. They have um, customized warehouses, right? Y'all do the. Uh, are, y'all, are y'all doing the fully customized warehouses for uh, individuals yet? I'm waiting for that to happen. So that way we can build a Robles headquarters and uh, we can have the first RBI Robles oh, Invitational. That's, that's this is exciting. Yeah, that's going to be something in the world. We can do that. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Yeah. Would love it. As always, I am Mo. That is my partner in crime, Carter Fisk. And we wish you guys nothing but the best, both on and off the map. Thanks for listening. Thank you, guys. <laughs> that's it for this episode of the Jiu-Jitsu of Life. Your hosts are Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. This podcast is brought to you by Rulebliss, makers of the world's finest custom jiu-jitsu apparel. You can subscribe to the Rulebliss newsletter to get the exclusive content at rulebliss.com. You can find more episodes of this show on our website at thejujitsuoflife.com. And you can subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we wish you a great week, both on and off the mat. <laughs>